from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. That's Ruth, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your, your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For wherever you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, also, if anything but death parts me from you. I don't think anybody said that be seated. But since you are, is Mama happy tonight? then everybody's happy. Again, happy Mother's Day, mothers. Glad uh, you've had a good day. If you have, if you've not, uh, there is a complaint department somewhere. We're really glad to see you with us tonight, especially if you're visiting with us. Uh, we are glad you are here. Uh, glad to see Judy Jones back with us. Uh, Judy's been uh, out for a little while with uh, health concerns, but uh, she's back with us tonight now and happy to be back, I think. She's nodding her head, so she's happy, and we're very happy to see Judy back as well. Um, in case you don't know the arrangements, I, I don't think they were announced this morning for, for Priscilla Grindstaff's uh, service. Uh, the family will receive friends tomorrow evening from uh, 5 to 7 at Morris Baker Funeral Home. And then 7 o'clock, the funeral service and burial, 10 o'clock at Monta Vista Cemetery, uh, just down the road here. So um, keep uh, Charlie and all of the family in your prayers. It's really, as you would expect, it's really taking the breath out of Charlie. And it's just going to take a while for him to get his feet back under him. But uh, we do want to keep him in our prayers. Um, but we're glad you're with us tonight. Uh, hope you've got your Bible ready. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Ruth. So uh, go ahead and uh, be ready to turn there. And uh, there'll be a couple of times we'll step out of that book for just a moment. But uh, put your bookmark there, your finger, and uh, we'll be there a good bit. I'm going to first mention a couple of uh, births. And these, you might say, are at the opposite ends of the spectrum, at least the way we normally view births. The first is described in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It concerns a child that was born in Bethlehem. There was no room in the inn, and therefore this child was born out in a stable and was laid in a manger. And of course, we all know that's talking about Jesus and what a marvelous event that was, and uh, we would say the most marvelous, remarkable birth uh, of all human history, without any doubt. But then on the other end of the spectrum, maybe not completely over there, but away over there, you find another birth mentioned in Genesis chapter 19, verses 36 and 37. And again, a child is born, this time in a cave, likely, it's not definite, but uh, that's where a lot of things happened before this birth. And the child was fathered by his grandfather. Now you connect the dots there and you begin to say, this doesn't sound so good. And in fact, the, the conception of the child took place in an environment of 
fear, and drunkenness. And most of us would say, well, that's very shameful. That's just not, a, not the way a child ought to come into this world. Well, why is it that we're looking at both of those? What, what is there that would connect the birth of, of the child Moab? That was the one that we're talking about in Genesis uh, chapter 19. He is the son, or if you want to call him the grandson of Lot, uh, when they thought the world was completely gone except for the three of them. That's when the daughters decided we got to take things into our own hands and, and have children to perpetuate the human race. Well, what is there to connect those two events? Well, there's Ruth. Now, there were other connections, of course, but in the Bible, Ruth stands as a link because she was uh, from Moab, the country, the nation of Moab, and that's where the, the nation began with this child uh, born to Lot's daughter. And, and as we're going to see, on the other end, uh, after her, you come down, uh, her great-grandson is the famous King David of Israel, and ultimately that is the line of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So here is Ruth in between, but, but my argument tonight will be that would not have happened had it not been for Ruth's courage. We're talking about profiles and courage. We're going to have three lessons in this short series of lessons. It is, of course, takes off from the uh, book that was written back in 1956 by John F. Kennedy before he was president. He wrote this book about famous figures in, in American history, some of them not so famous, but all of them very instrumental at, at key times in our nation's history, and their courage is to be applauded, and that was the whole theme of the book. Well, we're not going to be looking at American history, but we will look at biblical history and as we're going to see, there are many people that we could put here, but I'm going to begin with Ruth. She's not one that we usually talk about in terms of courage, but I think she deserves that place, and I'll try to show that to you as we get into this lesson. Let's begin by talking about the story that we all know so well, the story of Ruth. For many, they would say, well, the story of Ruth is a story of romance and devoted love. And there are those elements, there are those themes in her life in this short four-chapter book of the Old Testament. But there's also a backstory that we're going to be talking about that, that goes in other areas, far more complicated and edgy than what we might be accustomed to thinking of when we talk about Ruth. But, but the familiar part, let's begin there, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and, and this is how Ruth comes into the picture of Israelite history. In those days, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. They took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. It's not Oprah, if you happen to, to glance at it. It's not Oprah. It's Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman, the woman was left without her two sons 
and her husband. It's a tragedy. I mean, the fact that they had to go into the land of Moab in itself was a tragic thing because there was a famine that was going on. Uh, there was no food, so they had to go where there was food, and that led them into Moab. But after getting there, after a 10-year sojourn, all three of the men in this family die. Uh, Elimelech, the father, the husband of Naomi, and the two sons. And so now Naomi is left a widow without children. Greg talked about this in one of his recent lessons and, and did a really good job of developing that idea. But now you've got three widows in the picture. For two of them, there is hope that, well, maybe life can pick up again in some other way with some other husband. They're young enough to do that and maybe even have children as well. But for Naomi, there's not a lot of hope uh, for her future. Let's go on to verses 7 through 9. And here we find that she set out from the place. She's heard now the famine is over in Israel. There's food available. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to, your, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the, the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Now, this was not a typical mother-in-law relationship. I don't think Ruth is saying, or Naomi is saying this, because she doesn't like these two ladies. I think she does. I think there's nothing to suggest that she doesn't. But she just knows you have a future, but it will be best in your own land. And so she urges them to go back to their mothers and, and to pick up the pieces and, and try to start all over again. And we, we think that's a, a very noble gesture on the part of Naomi. And how does that work? How does it turn out? Well, let's go down to verses 14 and 15. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now, when it says Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, that tells us, and we're going to read it explicitly in the next verse, Orpah accepts the offer. She thinks it over and says, you know what, you're right. Maybe it would be better for me to go back. To my, to my mother, to my home, and there try to start over again. But Ruth clung to her. And that leads to verse 15. She said, that is, Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And you see, Naomi is really trying to, to get her to see your future is better if you stay here in Moab, among your people, among people that you know, uh, you need to go. And that prompts what is probably the most familiar passage in all of the book of Ruth, one that I read at virtually all the weddings that I do, and you have probably heard at a number of weddings as well. And Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And we look at that, and we say, man, that's just a wonderful statement of love, and it is. But it's a whole lot more than that. It is a statement of courage. And yes, it is appropriate to use uh, within 
proper uh, guidelines at, at weddings. I think so. But I think we need to understand when Ruth said this, weddings probably were the furthest thing from her mind. It was spoken to her mother-in-law, of course. It was a vow, I'm going to be with you. But it was courage, and I'm going to try to show that to you as we go further. And so verse 18, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. And so now they go. And Naomi has accepted the fact that Ruth is going with me. We are returning to my homeland, the land of Israel, and now I have Ruth with me. Well, we talk about Abraham a lot, and we did this morning, in fact, about how he heeded the call of God and, and left his homeland, left his father's house, and, and went into to a place he didn't know anything about, didn't know where he was going. And, and we say, man, that's faith. You can also say that about Ruth. In fact, maybe with even more strength, because she was a woman, and that made a big difference in that day and time as it does to some extent today. But you see, again, we need to understand this is a whole lot more than just, oh, I love you, Naomi. I want to be with you. I'm going to follow you everywhere. This is a vow of courage. So let's talk about that now. Let's talk about how Ruth's decision was a courageous one. And I'm going to give you three reasons that I find in the text of the book of Ruth, supported by other passages in the Old Testament, that show she was definitely a courageous person. Number one, it shows that she was courageous because she was leaving family identity behind. She was leaving family identity behind. Naomi had already sketched this. Uh, she had tried to say, now, you, you know, you don't have husbands. Uh, maybe you'll be able to find one where you have uh, grown up. Uh, you know people there. And uh, what, what will happen to you if you go with me and nobody knows you? Naomi was trying to help her see, you're leaving a lot if you go with me to Israel. And in fact, she was leaving family identity behind. Go to chapter 1, verse 22. And I want you to see something that appears for the first time and will appear five more times in the book of Ruth. And notice what it says there in verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, what is it that appears for the first time there? Ruth the Moabite. You see, there was no sign that was hung around her neck when she walked into the land of Israel, but she was tagged. She was labeled, oh, that's the Moabite. You see, she's no longer Ruth like she had been in her home country. There was no need to say anything further. These are her people. They knew her family. But now she is Ruth, the Moabite. And there's been some bad blood in the past between Israel and Moab, even though there is a kinship and their ancestry. There, there have been occasions where they have fought with each other and, and just had various run-ins, but now Ruth gains this identity, Ruth the Moabite. It's found again in chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 21, chapter 4, verse 5, chapter 4, verse 10, and over and over again she is referred to as Ruth the Moabite. Then look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2. 
Ruth chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And again, this idea that you've left your identity behind. You are now somebody you've never been before. And what is that? Well, look at verse 10 of chapter 2. This is after Boaz comes up and, and meets her for the first time. He's found out about her through his workers. And now he comes directly to Ruth to talk with her. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Since I am a foreigner. If you've been in another country, you know how that can feel. I mean, this is not my homeland. I am not the one in charge here. I am a guest, and I'd better abide by whatever rules there are. I need to find out what they are because they may not deal with me kindly, mercifully, if I uh, run afoul of their law. And that's kind of what Ruth is saying here. Why should you even take notice of me? Because I'm a foreigner. That's how she knew. I, that's what I am. And then in the next verse, verse 11, Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. You see, again, it's all talking about her identity now. She had privileges in Moab. People were comfortable with her. Nobody looked at her and said, hey, there, there's Mo, you know, Ruth, because she was one of them. Now, she's a foreigner. She's not one of them. You may know that in various places in the law of Moses, there are certain laws that specifically talk about the foreigner, the sojourner. Let me give you an example, and we're going to step outside of Ruth now for just a moment. Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 21 and 22. And this is kind of straightforward, but I want you to think, why does Moses say what he does in this particular setting? Leviticus chapter 24, verses 21 and 22. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. Now, what's God saying there? Don't have different laws for sojourners or foreigners and a different law for those who are natives of Israel. In other words, justice is to be applied fairly, equally. Now, why is that necessary? I mean, why did God have to say, don't be different to the foreigner than you are to the native of the land? Because that's human nature, isn't it? When somebody is different from us, either skin color, language spoken, education level, whatever, we look at them differently. And God is saying, in effect, don't but we do. And so Ruth, by leaving her land and going with Naomi into Israel, had to know, I, I'm taking a risk because I'm leaving behind my national identity, and, and that could be bad. You see, fear of the unknown is what we're talking about. Maybe that factored into Orpah's decision. We don't know. But maybe that was one of the reasons she decided, well, I'm going to go back to my people. But for Ruth, it was not a factor. She said, I'm going, even though it could become a problem. Secondly, I think Ruth's courage is evident in that she was putting herself in a position of financial insecurity. She was putting herself in a position of financial insecurity. 
I mean, what did Naomi have to offer Ruth? Her husband was dead. Her two sons, which normally would then pick up and begin supplying an income for Naomi, they're gone. What could Naomi offer? She's been away from Israel for 10 years. Uh, If they had a house, is it still there? What kind of condition would it still be in? There's a lot of unknowns. And and Ruth had to know that. But but let's look at what we do know rather than just speculate. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 2 again. Chapter 2 and verse 2, this is after they get to the land of Israel. They've just crossed into the, the border of Bethlehem. Now they're back home where Naomi has lived. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now, we read that and we say, okay, she's going to work. (laughs) It's really not that simple. I mean, gleaning, of course, was uh, common in Israel. It was part of God's provision for the poor and for the sojourner. Uh, When a farmer would harvest his crops, he was commanded not to go back after what might have fallen off the wagon. He was not to harvest the corners of his field. He was deliberately to leave some of the crop so that the poor could come in and help themselves and and thus be provided for. And and, and you can imagine there were a lot of people that would follow the harvesters. They, They said, this is our opportunity. We've got to be there. Well, Ruth is saying, I'm going to go. Now, who's filled? Is it going to be a a person who is fair? Is it going to be somebody that is harsh? Will she be around people that are are considerate and kind? Will she be around people that say, get out of here, Moabite. We don't want your kind around here. You see, she doesn't know. All she knows is, I've got to do this or we will have nothing to eat. And, And you have to admire Ruth. Because even though there's so many unknowns and there is certainly the element of danger, there she goes. And then go down to verse 23. In verse 23 of Ruth chapter 2, notice what we find there. She kept close to the young women of of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. Now, back in chapter 1, verse 22, we had seen that they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now we're seeing that she kept on this uh, work, kept on gleaning throughout the barley as well as the wheat harvest. Now, we don't know exactly the time frame, but it was a matter of weeks, maybe a couple of months, maybe as much as three months, possibly, but probably nothing more than that. But, but all of that time, here is Ruth out in the fields working probably sunup to sundown, and, and what a toll this must have taken on her physically. And, and all the while, especially as she gets on toward the end of the harvest, she had to be thinking, well, what then? When the harvest is over, then what do we do? Where does our income come from? Where does our food come from? Of course, they were storing up extra, but will there be enough? And, and what does the future hold? It was all very dark and uncertain. And then chapter 2, verse 11, which we've already noticed, but but look at it again, a detail that we didn't talk about. Boaz, when he first comes to Ruth, says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother. Now, when Naomi was trying to talk her into staying, she only talked about her mother. Boaz says, you've got a father. 
Now, we don't know the circumstances, don't know if he was a man of means, but surely he would have done something to provide for her had she gone back home, but she didn't. And by going with Naomi, she was putting herself in a position of financial insecurity, and you have to admire her courage. The third reason why I say that Ruth belongs in this list of those with courage is that she was putting herself at physical risk. She was putting herself at physical risk. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You have to wonder, how how was it that she ended up at uh, the field of Boaz? Was it just a coincidence? And of course, anybody that reads the book of Ruth knows that God is at work in this story, in this account. But but look at what it says, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. He had women that were working for him. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, why did Boaz have to say that? Well, of course, this is an unmarried woman, still young and vulnerable. And when she's out in the fields, other men have ideas. And Boaz says, I've told my young men, don't even touch that young lady. I admire her. I want you to to treat her well, treat her like you would your own sister. I'm interpolating that, of course. But, But from passages like Deuteronomy, we're not going to read this, but Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 through 27, there are laws given in the law of Moses where uh, if there is sexual activity between a man and a betrothed woman, one who is promised to another man but not yet married, if they're in the city, they're both to be put to death. If it happens out in the open land, as the ESV says, only the man. Why? Because the young woman might have called out, but nobody heard. In the city, if she had called out, somebody would have heard. They would have come to her help, but she didn't call out, so she's guilty too. But the point is, in the open land, who's going to help? Who's going to come to her rescue? And that's where the reaping goes, goes on, out in the open fields. And so again, you see, she's putting herself at physical risk. Naomi understood the situation. Go to chapter 2, verse 22. Chapter 2, verse 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. It was something that happened. Now, how frequently, we don't know, but it happened. Naomi knew it was a possibility. Boaz knew it was a possibility. And you know, Ruth had to know it as well. And yet she went, knowing that she was putting herself at physical risk. And I would argue, when you go to chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, and this evening when uh, Naomi tells her to go and and lay down at the feet of Boaz, uh, cover her feet under his cover, you know, all of that. Had he not been such a godly man, she was, again, making herself vulnerable. He could have taken advantage. In fact, look at chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. At midnight, the man was startled, and and this, of course, is talking about Boaz. He turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. 
It was dark, obviously. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And this gets into the kinsman redeemer concept. We're, we're not going to get into that right now. But, but if you go back earlier, back to verse uh, 7, you, you read where he had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry. Was he slightly inebriated? Possibly. I, I kind of take that statement uh, to that effect. But you see, again, had it not been that Boaz was such a godly man, and he absolutely was, he could easily have taken advantage of her. And she knew that being in the dark at the feet of a man who was sleeping right there, it could have turned out very differently. But again, her courage, her faith in Naomi's counsel, and probably her faith in God by this point. You see, in, in Genesis chapter 12, we find a very similar situation to this. Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 14. And just listen to this, and, and you'll say, wow, that's very similar. Now, there was a famine in the land, Genesis 12, 10 through 14. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. He had good reason to be concerned. Now, it worked out well because of God's intervention, but you see, that's what happens in that day and time. It happens today. Young women, unmarried women, on their own, are vulnerable. And that's what, Naomi, what Ruth is, uh, is doing by going back to Israel. And you remember Genesis 19 and verse 9, this, uh, again, this idea of being put at physical risk. Here we've got Lot. He's taken the two guests into his home. The men of the city come beating on the door, bring them out. And he says, no, and, and they say in verse 9, stand back. They said, this fellow, talking about Lot now, this fellow came to sojourn. You're a foreigner. And he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And again, you see, that shows the thinking of that time, and it's not limited to biblical times. Because you are from another place, you don't get the, the benefit of the doubt. You're put at risk when others are upset. And so, I want us to go back to chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, verses 16 and 17. The passage we read, the passage we hear often at weddings. I want you to listen to it again. With all that we've talked about, how, how Ruth knew that she was leaving family identity behind. She was putting herself in a position of financial insecurity. She was putting herself at physical risk. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. 
That's a whole lot more than romantic love. That's courage. And now let me take you to one other very familiar passage. Again, Hebrews 11. I seem to have been going to this a lot the last couple of weeks. But Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. And if I leave out the name that's found in verse 8, you know who I'm reading about. By faith, blank, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as if in a, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And you say, come on, Tim, I know who that is. That's Abraham, right? But couldn't we put in the name Ruth and it sound a whole lot like the book of Ruth? By faith, Ruth obeyed when called to go out to a place. Now, she had not been told she would receive it as an inheritance, of course. But she went out not knowing where she was going. Sounds like the same situation. I admire the courage of Ruth. And if we want to talk about profiles and courage... She deserves a place on that list. But let's think about us before we finish. Because this, according to Hebrews 11, is the faith to which we are called. And that means sometimes it takes courage to go where God wants us to go. Don't hold back because you're not sure what may happen, not sure what is over there. No, if this is our calling... We follow because we have courage based on our faith in God. Do you have faith enough to obey His Son, to become His disciple? If you've not confessed your faith in Jesus, turned away from your sins, put Him on in baptism, have courage enough to do that tonight. Takes only a few moments, but what a difference it will make in your life. And if you've done those things, have you been faithful? Have you been following the Lord even when you don't really know what lies ahead? You're not sure how it might turn out. Have you held back? Do you need to confess, I've not been as faithful as I know I should have been? We'll pray for you. God will forgive you. Come as we stand together and sing.